0: All right, if you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and open up to 2 Corinthians chapter one. 2 Corinthians chapter one is where we'll be this morning. Uh, if you've been here at all this year, uh, before the summer, we were walking through uh, the book of 1 Corinthians. We completed the book of 1 Corinthians, and now we're getting ready to jump into uh, 2 Corinthians, and uh, I'm super excited about this. But before we jump in, it is important to understand that Paul's relationship with, with the people of Corinth was very complicated. Second um, Corinthians is what most people believe to be the fourth letter written uh, to the Corinthians. And so there were three letters before that. First Corinthians is actually the second letter that Paul wrote and so some of the other letters are not in our scriptures and are, we, we don't really know what they are other than Paul uh, and what he says about them in first and second Uh, Corinthians, and so Paul's relationship with the Corinthians, if you had to put it in one word, would just be complicated. If there was a church that made Paul want to pull his hair out uh, because of all the issues and all the things going on with it, it was definitely the Corinthian church, which gives me encouragement uh, because church and people are messy today, and it's always been messy, right? And so a lot of people think, well, we just need to get back to the early church. Well, which one? Corinthians, right? So there were a lot of stuff going on. And so as long as people are a part of the church, there's going to be difficulties and there's gonna be uh, issues arising in that. Uh, One thing I want you to know about 2 Corinthians is that it's one of Paul's most vulnerable letters. Uh, As we work through it for uh, the fall, we're gonna figure out uh, it's very raw, it's very uncut, it's very emotional. At times, Paul will say things like, I've opened my entire heart to you guys Uh, here. Uh, At times he'll say, I'm riding with tears. So you, you just see and start to realize, man, Paul really, really cared about this group of people and he had been through a lot Uh, with them. Their relationship was complicated, and Paul was seeking to reconcile this relationship. He wanted the church of Corinth to stand strong, to stand firm, to be a healthy church, and he was willing to do whatever it took by the power of God in him to do that. And so I want to show you a timeline to help you. I know we're not in history class in here, but it does help to understand Uh, Paul's relationship with this church. Because a lot of times we read a Bible and we don't really understand that Paul was writing a letter to real people. Like literally this was a pastor writing to a group of people just like you and I. And so understanding uh, his relationship with this group of people can really help us understand better what exactly he is trying to get across to them. And so uh, let's start at the beginning. So there should be a slide up here to help us uh, with this. And so we'll start in the highlighted and I'll just kind of take you through. This is just a... Uh, timeline of, of the, you know, dates. And uh, in, in the first time that we see Corinth come up in the Bible, it's actually in Acts chapter 18. And this is where Paul uh, first visited the city of Corinth. It's kind of modern day. And so Paul shows up uh, here. He has a great visit. He meets a group of people. Uh, he meets two people by the name of Aquila and Priscilla. stayed with them. They Uh, But when he got to Corinth, he received a lot of opposition from the religious people. He got to Corinth uh, that the Jews became abusive to Paul. I'll let you define how abusive how you want to, but things just weren't good there. He had almost got to the point where he was ready to say, I'm done here, I'm moving on to the next place. Well, that night, uh, Acts 18, 9 and 10, Uh, tell us that God came to Paul in a vision. Listen to what he says in, in Acts 18, 9. He says, one night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. God said, do not be afraid, keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city of Corinth to save. And so Paul stays there. He ends up staying there for about one and a half years. He sees many salvations, and then we see the church of Corinth established for the first time. And the next thing we see is Paul leaves there after one and a half years, and he goes over uh, the sea to Ephesus. He moves further east over to Ephesus, where he had planted another church uh, to care for them. Here in Ephesus, he writes two of his letters back to the Corinthians. First Corinthians, uh, about this first letter uh, that a report had come Ephesus, Chloe's house Whoever Chloe is, she sent a letter. She was updating him about some issues and some things going on. Uh, some divisions were in the church. Some sin had come up in the church. Paul writes his first letter to them. This first letter is not 1 Corinthians. There was a letter before that. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5 9. He says, I wrote to you in my letter, all right, not to associate with sexually immoral people. But now I'm writing to you that you must not associate with. With brothers and sisters that are walking in unrepentant sin. So we see he had already written to them about some of the issues that were going on. But here from Ephesus, we also see Paul write 1 Corinthians, which is his second letter that we have in our Bible. And uh, this is his second letter. And in this letter, we've studied, Paul does some things. He addresses some division in the church. He addresses some sin in the church. He answers a lot of questions about singleness and marriage and spiritual gifts in the church and and, and uh, communion and how the, the saints should gather together, what a church gathering should look like. He corrects their theology when it comes to the resurrection. Uh, so all of those things happen in, in 1 Corinthians. But then we also... that Paul describes going back to Corinth from Ephesus. So not long after, uh, Paul had received word that the people of Corinth had not received his letter, 1 Corinthians in the Bible, well, right? They didn't really receive it. And so Paul ends up going back over there after the letter uh, on what he calls the painful visit. And this was kind of an emergency visit because of how bad the church of Corinth was going. And he calls it a painful visit, as you can tell, for, for the right reason. And so, when he goes on this visit, things don't go well either, right? They don't really like that Paul's come back. This, this trip, this painful visit discouraged Paul because while he was there, some people attacked him, attacked what he was teaching, attacked what he believed, and nobody in the church of Corinth stood up for him. And as a pastor, this broke his heart in a lot of ways. Leave Corinth again, and then we hear about, in 2 Corinthians, a painful letter that Paul sent back after the painful uh, visit, and he sent Titus to deliver that. So uh, y'all pray for Titus. Uh, Titus had to take this letter in there, right? And so hopefully he survived. We know he survived, but it was probably difficult. But as a result of the bad visit, Paul writes this next letter. This would be his third letter to the Corinthians. Now, I told you his relationship with them was complicated. You believe me now, right? His third letter back to the Corinthians, uh, and the Bible refers to it as the painful letter. And in this letter, we learn through what Paul teaches us in Second Corinthians, that he was this letter was about calling the church to repentance, uh, even stronger than First Corinthians. And uh, not only that, but he wanted the church to take action against the people that attacked him when he was there and make sure they understood uh, what the church was founded on, which was the word of God. So then uh, we learned that Paul is in Ephesus during this whole time. Well, then a riot breaks out in Ephesus. So if, if caring for the church of Corinth wasn't enough, the people now start trying to kill him in Ephesus. And so we learned uh, in Acts 19 that a, that a that basically this riot broke out because Paul was preaching the gospel. The people didn't like what it was causing uh, in the city. And so Paul ends up leaving Ephesus, going up to Troas, uh, which is up north, uh, above north, northern uh, kind of Turkey area. And he gets there, he meets Titus, who had been in Corinth, and him and Titus obviously talk about what's going on in Corinth uh, there. And so we understand uh, Titus comes to him with actually a good report. And that report is that when he went to deliver the painful letter, the Corinthians had actually repented and they were doing well and the church was walking. hear Paul talk about this painful letter, it's actually gonna bring him a lot of encouragement and joy because the people responded to uh, the word of God but Titus also says that's the good news, but I got some bad news. The bad news is that these super apostles have now raised up in Corinth, and he uses the term super apostles, I'm not using that, he does. And so apparently in Corinth, very eloquent speakers, very good uh, from the stage, they looked well, they had a lot of money, they were well put up, and in the city of Corinth, they like outward appearance, they like performances, they like all these things. And so these super apostles had slipped into the church and these guys were spreading rumors about Paul and it was agitating the church and it was tarnishing Paul's reputation with the believers uh, in Corinth. And so from there, what we get is Paul writes the letter of 2 Corinthians after the report that Paul brings him uh, or that Titus brings Paul up in Macedonia. And so with that, in 2 Corinthians, you'll see A good chunk of this letter is going to be Paul defending his integrity to the people. And so you won't understand that unless you know the background. So Paul writes the letter of 2 Corinthians about four years after he planted this church. So that's the complicated relationship for four years. AD 56 is when it happened. And as you can see, there are a lot of hurt feelings in this book, There's been some measure of reconciliation with Paul, but Paul still doesn't feel like Corinth and the church there is where it should be as far as its relationship with God and his relationship with them. So Paul writes this letter, not only defending his integrity, but defending the integrity of the gospel. And, and and what happens is he really comes at these false apostles uh, for doing that, and they were saying a lot of, I mean, Paul was very hurt by what they were saying about him. They were saying things like, man, he's, he's fickle, or you can't believe what he says, or hey, he's weak. He writes these very bold letters, but when he gets here, he's not a lot to look at, and he's not that good of a speaker. He don't have that much money. Uh, he can't be a man of God because God's blessing would be on him. This a ton of suffering. If you suffer, there's no way God has called you to be an apostle. And so they just had a lot mixed up from this. Similar to what we hear today in the prosperity gospel. So even our Lord and Savior uh, was not wealthy and he wasn't healthy and he wasn't prosperous. He faced a lot of persecution and a lot of suffering uh, in this world. And so it makes sense that if you follow him, that you will face Uh, The same, So Paul was under attack in Corinth, and so he writes this letter as their pastor, and you'll see him celebrate to a degree that repentance has happened, but you'll also see that reconciliation is still needed, and he'll end the letter by basically saying, my goal in this letter is that we could be fully restored in our relationship and your relationship uh, with God. And so it's a very interesting letter. You can break it up if you want to, if you care about this chapters one through seven will be Paul talking about his ministry and really his ministry and defend the gospel and then we'll hit chapters eight and nine which will be more about him exhorting them or encouraging them to be generous to a people in need and then chapters 10 through 13 he's going to go after the super apostles so I just I'm excited to study this book together this is the way I love to preach Uh, I don't believe it's my job to stand up here and about the world and what's going on, it's my job to teach you the Word of God. And so 2 Corinthians is gonna be a great study for us, and I'm praying that God would grow your faith and grow our faith and grow our testimony as a church as we walk through this. So with that, 2 Corinthians chapter one, we'll start in verse one, and it begins this way. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God in Corinth, together with all his holy people. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So it makes sense why Paul would introduce himself as an apostle of Christ, not by the will of man, but by the will of God. Because he wants them to know he's not called by man, he's called by uh, God. And he wants, not only does he want to know who he is, he wants them to recognize in Corinth who they are. He says, you guys are the church of God and you have been called with God's holy people throughout Achaia, Achaia is just kind of the region around Corinth, he wants them to know that they've been called by God to be his holy people, to be his representation on earth, and then he wants them to understand that their grace and their peace is only gonna be found when they're in a right relationship with him. Then he goes on, listen, this is different than he starts out any letter in the Bible. He begins this letter with a prayer which is not uncommon, but this prayer is really a praise for the people in Corinth uh, to to worship God and praise God in the midst of difficult situations. Listen to him, in the midst of tribulation. He says, verse three, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, or mercy, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles. Uh, That word trouble literally is the word tribulation or uh, the best definition is a crushing. Externally, he wants us to praise God. Listen, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort that we ourselves have received. From God. So God has purpose in our tribulation, and part of that purpose is so that we can comfort others who walk through the same things that we do. Verse 5 For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, then it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, then it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings that we suffer. Verse seven, and our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you will share in our comfort. And then Paul gets personal, listen to him. He says, we do not want uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles that we experienced in the province of Asia. What's he talking about? Well, after he left Corinth, he went to Ephesus, which was more towards Asia, and so we don't necessarily learn what exactly he experienced in Asia, but we know he experienced crushing pressure, some very deep trouble there. Listen to what he says. He says, we were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that, so that we despaired of life itself. And this is Paul writing, saying we despaired of life itself. The word despaired in Scripture literally means no passage. There was no way out. The total absence of Of an exit. Verse 9. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. He said, I thought we were going to die. I thought God had, had, this was it. We were at the point where we were going to be killed. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Only Paul could stand in a situation on the brink of death where he says, I thought we were gonna die, heck, I even wanted to die in some ways because it was so hard. But then I realized God was doing something. And what he was doing was trying to get me to quit relying on myself and start relying on him. What an incredible word, we're gonna talk about that. Verse 10, but God has delivered us from such a deadly peril. So God delivered him and he will deliver us again. On Him we have set our hope that we will con- that He will continue to deliver us. And as you help us by your prayers, then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. And so Paul says, "We were oh, I thought we were dead, but I learned that God was doing something, and God delivered us. And He's delivered us before. He's going to deliver us again. And because of that." We set our hope in him alone. That's a powerful, powerful statement from Paul. So here's what I wanna do today. Uh, and, and, and let me preface it with this. I understand there's a lot of people in this room that are going through some difficult things. And, the, and, and here's the thing I've learned as a pastor of, of a lot of people that have faced a lot of difficult. The time for you to prepare to go through difficult times in your life is before you get into those times. And so I know you'd say, well, Billy, I don't wanna talk about suffering and I don't wanna talk about trials. Like That is not encouraging to me. That makes me like not wanna go to church. Well, here's what, and and that's a lot of the mistake in a lot of churches is we don't teach what scripture teaches us about trials and suffering. Jesus himself said, in this world, we will face trouble. So whether it's an injury in basketball or whether it's cancer or whether it's a struggling marriage, whatever it is in your life when you're facing these trials and difficulties, the Bible has a lot to say about them and I want us to learn from Paul this morning. And here's what I want us to learn from Paul. Three things. The first is this. In the midst of our trials and suffering, Paul says we need to praise God. Praise God. You'd say, Billy, how in the world do I do that? That's a great question. We'll talk about that. Two, in the midst of our trials and suffering, Paul says we need to rely on God. Like we need to rely on God. The point of difficulty in our life is to show us that we're not meant to walk through life alone. We're designed to be dependent on God, to walk with God in relationship. The quicker we figure figure that out, the better. And then thirdly, in the midst of our trials and suffering, God has promised deliverance. Like, that's who God is. Our God is the God of deliverance. And now he, his deliverance may look different than you think it should look, but at the end of the day, God will deliver his people. He always have, he did it then, he did it now, he'll do it in the future. This is who our God is. So let's talk about each of these. The first is, in the midst of our trials and suffering, Paul says we should praise God. And you say, Billy, well, how in the world do we do that? Well, here's what i tell you. There's nothing more difficult than praising God when you're in the midst of a difficult time. But there's also nothing more rewarding and meeting God and praising God and walking with God when we are in a season of difficulty. So what did Paul do? Well, we learn in the scripture that Paul praised God and he praised God for his comfort. He praised God for who he is. He praised God for his purpose in the midst of his tribulation. And when it comes to walking through trials and suffering, one of the greatest lessons that we can learn from Paul is that we need to get our eyes off of ourselves and get them on God. Like, that's what God wants. When we're in the midst of a difficult situation, when we're in a good situation, the point is God wants our eyes on him because that's what gives us the view and the, and the attitude that we need to walk through in obedience. And this is exactly what Paul is doing here. He's learned to praise God literally in the storm. And he does this in three ways specifically. First, letter A, he praises God for who he is. He, he literally praises God, he sings a song of praise. This is why we sing God's word. He's reminding himself of the truth about God and his promises. Listen, he calls on the different names of God. He calls God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why would he do that? Well, he's thinking about the humanity of Christ and all the things that Christ walked through, all the suffering, I mean, namely the cross that he walked through, and he knows that the same Father got him through that and raised him from the dead, is the same father that will be with us through our trials and our suffering. He calls him the father of compassion. He knows that our father is a father that empathizes with us. He's experienced what we walk through in this world and he walks with us in that. He calls him the God of all comfort, meaning that we experience God's comfort in the midst of trials in ways that we will not experience them outside of the trial. And and Paul knows that. I'll add two more from different parts of the Bible. 1 Peter uh, 5.10, Peter says, the God of grace who meets us in our trials. I mean, how beautiful is that? That literally, think about it, when you get to that difficult place, when you get to the bottom of that difficult place where you feel like you're about to hit the worst moment of your life, guess who's there waiting on you? God. He meets you in your trial. Think about it this way, Romans 15, four through five. The God of endurance and encouragement that meets us in our discouragement. When we get to those places of discouragement, God is there with us. That's the message of the Bible that we see. Throughout it, it reminds me of one of my best friends who was walking through the toughest time of his life. He was walking through some mental health issues. He didn't really know what was going on. And we walk into a counselor's office because I didn't know what to do either. And uh, the, the counselor hands us a book, and it's a book about the names of God. And I'm like, bro, come on, man. Like, we're in the worst spot of this guy's life. He's about to lose everything. And you're going to hand us a book? Like, what what is your job? Like, what are you supposed to be doing? Don't you fix situations uh, like this? And then I heard him talk, and one of the things that he said is that when the world seems like it's spiraling out of control and nothing you can grab is to control, he said, it's in that moment that we learn that the only stability in the midst of this crazy world and all the trials of life is a stable God. And when you get in those moments where you feel like everything's falling out from under you and you don't know how to do or where to turn or what to do, he says you cling to God because it's God who is the stable foundation. So we better know who he is when we face that trial or difficulty in our life. And I love that Paul focuses in on the names. I can't do them all, but I'll do one, on the God of all comfort. His point is this, that our God will comfort us. And Paul knows the Bible. He knows the Old Testament. It's as if he's saying, the same God that comforted Joseph when his brothers sold him into slavery and he found himself in jail for a crime that he didn't commit That God will comfort us. It's the same God. The same God that comforted Daniel when he was thrown into the lion's den will be present with us when we find ourselves in that situation. The same God that comforted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire will comfort us. The same God that comforted Christ on the cross will comfort us in our darkest trials and our deepest troubles. And Paul says, because of that, because I know that's my God, I know he'll be present with me, he'll comfort me, in even the most difficult situations. And because of that, Paul can say, I'm gonna praise God in the midst of my situation that's difficult. Secondly, he praises God specifically for his comfort. And that word comfort can bring a lot of confusion. So let me read what one commentator said. I thought he explained it better than I probably can. This is David Garland who writes a lot of commentaries for the New Testament. He's very smart. He says this. He says, for us, the word comfort may connote emotional relief and a sense of well-being, physical ease or satisfaction and and freedom from pain and anxiety. And many in our culture worship at the cult of comfort in a self-centered search for ease. But it lasts for only a moment and it never fully satisfies. The comfort that Paul has in mind here in 2 Corinthians has nothing to do with the sleepy feeling of contentment. It is not some tranquilizing dose of grace that only dulls pains, but a stiffening, listen to this, a stiffening agent that fortifies one in heart, mind, and soul. Listen, comfort relates to encouragement, help, exhortation, and God's comfort strengthens our weak knees and sustains our sagging spirits so that no one faces the troubles of life with unbending resolve and unending assurance. Like that's what God is after, so that we as Christians can face the troubles of life with unbending resolve and unending assurance. Then he goes on to say this. Listen, he says, we know God's promises best uh, when we are in the direst need of them. When we are, as Paul says, harassed at every turn with conflicts on the outside and fears within, we learn in such circumstances that God's comfort is sufficient to overcome the slings and arrows that cut us to the quick and the sorrows that break hearts. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is available to comfort us. And it's in these moments that we as Christians learn that unlike any other God in the entire world, Our God is concerned with where we are and he cares for us there. Like this is our God in every loss, in every pain, in every sorrow, in every disappointment, we have a God that will be present with us to comfort us, strengthen us, bless us, help us, and heal us. And no matter what you face as a Christian in this life, our God is enough. He is enough. He is all we need. God's comfort is truly sufficient for us in all of our troubles. And it's because of this that Paul can say, not only do I praise God, but I praise God for his comfort. And he doesn't stop there. The third thing, let her see, is he praises God for his purpose. For his purpose. You can't miss this. Listen to verse four. It's praising God. He says, I praise God who comforts us in all of our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort that we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, then it is your comfort and your salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings that we suffer, and our hope for you is firm. Because we know that just as you share in our suffering, so also you share in our comfort. So Paul praises God for using his affliction and his suffering and his difficulties, trials and tribulations, to bring salvation and growth and comfort and encouragement to the Corinthians. Like think about what he's saying, it's powerful. He's saying because of Christ's afflictions, you and I are comforted because it brought us salvation. And now he's saying because of my affliction, what I've been through for the sake of you in Corinth, has allowed now the gospel to come to Corinth and for people in Corinth to be saved. So he's relating it to Paul's, uh, Jesus' suffering brought salvation. Now our suffering as a Christian, God uses it to bring salvation to other people, not only salvation, but to plant churches. And and even that, the, the believers there are growing. And you see, we may not always understand what God's purpose is for our suffering. Like you may not know it when you're in the midst of it. But God's word teaches us that there is a purpose for it. Like there is a purpose. We never, God doesn't waste our suffering or our trials and tribulations. It may be to grow you, like it may be about you becoming more like Christ because Christ himself walked a path of suffering and took a lot of persecution and trials and faced those. It may be to reach another person. Like, some of us need to understand that that difficulty that we're walking through, it may not have anything to do with us. It may be more about what God's trying to do through you to the life of another person. I mean, you think about Stephen in the Bible. Stephen stands up and preaches. He's stoned to death. You're thinking, golly, God, how could you just, my man just, I mean, he's waiting tables. He's full of the Spirit. Like, this guy's great. Like, why are you killing him? But you know who was at the stoning? Paul. You know who got saved? Paul. You know who planted a ton of churches and we sit here today because of his ministry? Paul. And it was Stephen's suffering that spread the gospel out all throughout the Bible times in the book of Acts. You see this. It may be both. God may be trying to grow us and reach others. But without a doubt, God is sovereign over our trials and our suffering. And he has a purpose for it. This is why Paul's gonna teach us later on in 2 Corinthians 4:17. He says, for our and momentary trouble in this world are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Now you try to interpret that scripture. I don't even think we're supposed to know what that means. But what we know is that whatever we face in this world as a Christian in eternity it's gonna outweigh, eternity is gonna outweigh anything we can face. There is no sorrow on this earth that heaven can't heal. There is no sorrow. So the question becomes this for us. How are we responding to the trials in our life? Like when you find yourself in difficulty, when you find yourself in suffering, when you find yourself in situations that are beyond your control of difficulty, how do you respond? Do you run away from God or do you run to God. If we're honest with ourselves, and I'm honest with myself, a lot of times my natural instinct is to run from God and try to figure it out on my own. But this is exactly the opposite of what Paul's teaching us. In the midst of the trial, he wants us to run to God. When you're in that difficulty, are you praising God or are you cursing God? Because listen, how we respond to the trials and suffering in our lives truly reveals a lot about our faith. 1 Peter 1 teaches us that trials actually prove the genuineness of our faith. I want you to listen to a, a pastor, Dane Ortland and how he describes this. is incredible. He says, it is difficult to know the true spiritual state of those who have only known the mountaintop, but never the valley. Only ease, but never pain. But there is a strange encouragement in the distressing afflictions of the Christian experience. This is a safe ground, for this is the path that Christ walked. And in finding ourselves on that path, we know that we are not fair-weather disciples. So here's the question. What is your response in the trial? And what does it reveal about your faith? Like, does it reveal that you're a fair-weather disciple? Or does it reveal that you are a true follower of Christ? Does it, does it, re, does it reveal a genuineness about your faith? Or any time you face something hard, do you just run? Because God wants us to focus in on him and allow him to walk with us and use us in the midst of difficulty. I could tell you story after story, but I don't have time to do that. Secondly, in the midst of our trials and suffering, rely on God. Paul wants us to rely on God. This is incredible. Listen, verse eight. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles that we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure and it was far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. And he has delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us again. And on him, we have set our hope and he will continue to deliver us. As you help us by your prayers, then many will give thanks on behalf for the gracious favor granted to us and the answer of the prayers of many. And he says, this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. How many of you guys have ever heard this quote that God will not give you more than you can handle? Anybody ever heard that? Surely more of y'all have heard that. Now, participation. Have you heard the quote, God will not give you more than you can handle? That's a lie. But you you could change it a little bit and say, God will not ever give you more than he can handle. And that's the truth of God's word. We don't know exactly what affliction Paul is referring to here Uh, A lot of people would say maybe it's the wild beast that he talked about he encountered in Ephesus. You can try to figure out what wild beasts are, whether it was uh, a bunch of soldiers or whether it was a lion. I don't know what they were putting in front of him there. Or maybe it was the riot in Ephesus where literally the riot broke out and he barely made it to the boat to get out of Ephesus before they tried to kill him. Or he's gonna talk about 39 lashings from the Jewish people in 2 Corinthians 11. So whatever experience he's talking about It's probably far beyond any experience that we faced in this world as far as persecution. But we know whatever it was, it was bad. And Paul says, not only did I think I was gonna die and we were gonna die, heck, it was so bad that I wanted to die. And I don't know that any of us have been to that place. But have you ever been to a situation and been in a situation that's similar to this. Maybe you have faced death or maybe you've got to a place in life where you're like, man, I don't know if I can make it through this. Or or maybe I don't even know if I wanna make it through this. The situation that Paul's in and, and this is where Paul is and did you notice what he said happened when he was in this situation? God taught him something. And God, God spoke to him, God, God, God showed him that this had happened for a reason, and that reason was that he may not rely on himself, but lie, rely on God. You see, God used this situation to bring Paul to the end of himself, to bring him to a place of complete dependence. Paul says, it was literally so bad, so far out of my control, so beyond my ability to endure, that all I could do was rely on God, like wow. I love how Tony Evans shines his perspective on this. He says, one of the most important truths of scripture that we all need to understand is this. God must remove our attitude of self-sufficiency. When we encounter a seemingly hopeless situation, it opens our eyes to the reality that we cannot depend on and deliver ourselves. We must allow personal brokenness that strips us of our self-sufficiency to move us to a deeper level of trust in and dependency on our all-sufficient God. Has it ever crossed your mind that God may be using that difficult situation that you're in to draw you to himself? Has it ever crossed your mind that that difficult situation that you're in right now that's beyond your ability to control or endure is really God bringing you to the end of yourself so that he can do a great work in your life and so that he can do a great work through your life. I mean, consider the cross of Christ. Like what seemed like God what was most out of control when it seemed like God was nowhere near when, when our Savior, who was innocent, who did nothing wrong, was being murdered on a cross. It's like, God, where are you? God was accomplishing his greatest work. Have you ever thought about that? it's important that we understand that that god is and paul's teaching us something that many times and paul had this truth figure out that it's our greatest hardships that often lead to our greatest ministry like you need to write that down our greatest hardship the greatest sufferings that we face in life many times lead to our greatest opportunities to serve and help others grow in their relationship with God. It's often our greatest pain that becomes our greatest service to other people because it equips us and it enables us to sympathize and empathize and and minister to those who are suffering in a similar way. Like maybe you're in this room and you've you've got a difficult child. You're like, God, like, God, this child, why'd you give me this one? I mean, can I get an amen? Like, you, you've been there. You know. It's like, God, what's going on? Like, help. Like, I don't know. But then you start to realize maybe, maybe you've been through some kind of abuse in, in, in your childhood or maybe abuse from somebody who loved you. If you've walked through that, then it gives you a great deal and ability uh, to, to sympathize and minister to others that are dealing with that same kind of drama in their life. Maybe you're in here and you've walked through some kind of sickness or terminal disease or cancer. People that have went through cancer, they know the vocabulary of cancer. Like They know how to relate to people who are walking through cancer in ways that others can't. They're sympathetic in those situations. Maybe you're in here and you've been through uh, uh, the pain of infertility. And if you have, you're able to weep with those who weep and walk beside people in that situation in a way that nobody else can. Maybe you're in here and you've lost a child. And you're able to, 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 to sympathize and walk with people who have done that and, and similar stories. Or maybe you're in here and you've been in ministry and you've been hurt by church people, or maybe you've encountered some sort of opposition, which in ministry that never happens, right? I mean, so, I mean, you've encountered some kind of opposition, or somebody's used you uh, for some reason and twisted it in a way that it's about God, but it was really about them. Maybe whatever it is that's in your heart or situation. You can relate to others who've been through those kind of experiences in ministry or when they tried to step out for God. I could go on and on, but the point is this, that God comforts us in our difficulty not to make us comfortable, but to make us comforters for other people who are walking through similar situations. And when we rely on Him, and when we allow our trials and our suffering to push us closer to Him, what happens is he uses our trials, He uses our difficulties to grow us and to encourage and comfort others through our testimony. I love how Paul David Tripp, one of my favorite pastors, says it. He says this, "The hard moment is not just for your growth in grace. but for your call to be a tool of that same grace in the life of another sufferer. In difficulty, God is softening your heart and sharpening your edges so that you may be ready to make the comfort of the invisible Father visible in the life of a weary Christian that he has placed in your pathway. God intends for you to give away the comfort that you've been given. The grace that has been given, uh, that has given you hope, is meant to spill over into hope for the person next to you. What a God and what a plan. Like, this is our God. This is what He does. And this is what I love about God's church. Like, there are literally people all over this room that have been through all kinds of different struggles and trials and tribulations. And they're literally all kinds of people in this room that are facing the same trials and tribulations right now. And what God says is the church is supposed to be a place where you can walk through it together and you can empathize with people and you can come alongside of them and you can say, man, I'm there. I've been there. Listen to what God, hell, he helped me through this. And you just walk alongside of people, So here's my challenge. Find somebody that's been through what you're going through and let them help you. Like church, this is why we can't put on the face and act like we got it all together. Like we got to tell people what's going on in our hearts and in our minds. Until we get to that point, God can't help us and nobody else can help us. So would you see the first step to God healing you is honesty about where you are. Because there's people all around you that wanna help you. But you just gotta let them in and you gotta let them do that. This is what God designed the church to be, don't miss it. And then lastly, Paul teaches us that in the midst of our suffering and trouble, that God has promised deliverance. He says that he has delivered us and he will deliver us again. And because of that promise, Paul says we can set our hope on God, our great God, who is the God of deliverance. And listen, I know there are so many people in so many different situations in this room right now, but the word deliverance just means you need God to intervene, like you need God to rescue, you need God to step in from heaven and do a work in your heart. And I know there's all kinds of situations in this room. There are people whose marriages are struggling. There's folks that have straying kids that they wanna see become believers. There's folks that you've lost uh, you've lost someone that you love. You don't know what to do with that. You got lost children or your, your brother or sister is just running from God or you got a difficult family situation or you're wrestling through a sickness that you don't know is, if it's gonna end good or bad or maybe you got cancer. Or maybe and loss or depression and anxiety or maybe you're struggling and you're trapped in addiction or maybe there's just a sin that you can't find your way out of whatever it is I want you to know that our God is a God of deliverance and he wants to help and we're a church that wants to help because we are his ambassador to you and in this world. So would you allow the God of deliverance to step into your situation and shine the light of the gospel there? And that's what the gospel is all about. Every person in this room is way more messed up than you'd ever think. But the gospel is greater than when, and is way more than you would ever think. So let's pray together. I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what situation you're in, but here's what I know. Every person in this room, there's areas of your life where you need God to come in and touch. And I pray today would be that day. Maybe you're walking through what Paul talked about. You're at the darkest moment of your life and you've been running from God. Maybe today you'd hear the message of the gospel. Would you you come to me? Would you allow me to help? Would you cast your burden on me? Or maybe you're in this room and you're just walking through a situation that you don't know how to get out of. Maybe you're in here and you've been through a situation and you know that there's somebody else walking through the same situation. Would you go help them? Would you talk to them? Would you teach them what God has taught you? So Father, that's our prayer this morning. God, all over this room, God, we lift up the situations that are here. God, maybe for a person in this room today, they don't have a relationship with you. And God, today, you've revealed yourself to them. You've shown them, God, that they're living for themselves and they're not walking with God, and that's clear. The good news of the gospel is that, God, you know us and you see us running away from you, and you've still sent your son Christ to die for us, to take the punishment that we deserve for rebelling against you, so that now through faith in him, we can turn from our sin and we can live in a life reconciled to you in relationship. So God, I pray if there's any person in this room today that that's where they're at, that they would step forward and say, man, I wanna be saved. I wanna know God. I wanna be in a relationship with God. If that's you and you're in this room and you say, Billy, that's me. I wanna be saved. I wanna know God. And just lift your hand right where you're at. I wanna pray for you. Amen. Anybody else, you'd say, Billy, that's me. That's me. Today's the day of salvation in my life. So, Father, this is our prayer. God, would we be a church that represents the God of deliverance? God, would we be a safe place for people to walk through the struggles of life and to be open, to be honest, and to find your grace, to find your mercy, and to find a relationship with you? God, that's our heart. So, God, would you make it a reality? We love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. If you're in this room and you need help, I'll be out at the tent. I'd love to talk with you about that. I don't want you to leave here without that opportunity. So we thank you for being here and we'll see you back next week.